they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Bible with the Barbers. Mary Barber, filling in for Mary. I'm usually out running around. This time she's gone retreat, so I fill in. And today I want to talk about some of the things I've learned from Dr. Scott Hahn over the last 30 years. All of his recordings that I've had published. And again, everybody can get those, you know, from Virgin Most Powerful Radio, his salvation history, all of his uh, Bible studies are on uh, downloads on the, uh, well, we have it on our catholicrc.org, catholicrc.org, or if you're a monthly donor, you get them for free, (laughs) $25 more a month. And all these wonderful recordings we've done for 30, 40 years are available to you. Well, today I want to talk about Genesis all the way to the Catholic Church. And that's really the, the Salvation History series. But I think it's, it's good to have an understanding of the big picture. And, you know, you, I love Scott Hahn's series on typologies, types of Christ in the Old Testament. It really opened my eyes years ago to that. So I would encourage you to get those. And I want to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. You probably have heard this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. If we need anything in our culture right now, it's hope. <laughs> because we're uh, you know, in a culture where uh, COVID took a lot of hope out of people's minds and their heads, and uh, fear started ruling them. But I think if we read the Word of God on a regular basis, we won't have that fear. I think it's um, 365 times the word trust is in the Bible, one for every day of the year. So I'm going to take this introduction and talk about a wonderful gift that God has given us in his word, and yet many of us are not able to make sense out of the Bible, to understand the order or significance of events or what all those laws, rituals, and genealogies mean, right? Even fewer of us are able to see how the Bible can help us realize the fullness of our faith or give any understanding to why we, as Catholics, do many of the things we do. Now, I will tell you, uh, we do have a biblical evidence sheet for the Catholic Church, for the sacraments. All these, I think there's 180 topics using Scripture, and we give that away. So if someone ever wanted that biblical scriptural Cheat sheet. We call it a cheat sheet because it gives you topic and scripture verse to back it up. You can get it by going to vmpr.org. Just let us know with an email. So perhaps you've had questions or comments such as these. You know, Jesus, the beginning of the church, are in the New Testament. So why do I need to study the Old Testament? The two seem so different. Are they really related? Those are good questions. I might add also, we're living in times of much confusion mainly because in the last 50 years, even in the seminaries, I met a priest who's in his 70s. He said, when I was in the uh, Archdiocese of Los Angeles Seminary in the early 70s, late 60s, they uh, explained that uh, the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus was divine. What? Yeah, even back then, they were undermining the deposit of faith, as they are doing today. 
Or another one, if I need to study the Old Testament, how do I make sense of it? It doesn't seem to have a consistent storyline. And it's so confusing. This is what this show is going to hopefully answer. Our third question, I'm more comfortable and familiar with the New Testament. How can I get more out of it for my daily life? Where is the connection to my Catholic faith, the sacraments, our devotion to Mary, priesthood, and our church teachings? See, these are great questions to ask because there are answers. Another one, last one I'll give you. I've tried to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You know how many people have told me that? <laughs> but I have not been very successful. Can it be used in my study of the Bible and help me understand the practice of my Catholic faith? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I want to just recommend that we have on our full Sheen Ahead um, channel for YouTube, I think that's 12 weeks of teachings with the Catechism. We use the Baltimore Catechism. We use Fulton Sheen's Life is Worth Living and the Life of Christ. That's what we taught. And I would recommend, if you want a good catechesis, a teaching of the catechism, and you don't want to read a book, watch the, watch the 12 presentations. They're about an hour long. Now, God had a perfect relationship with his children in the Garden of Eden. We all know that. And we all know that Adam and Eve refused this relationship through their sin, thus separating man from God. From that moment, the father laid out his loving plan for the salvation of his children. We're going to talk about Genesis 3.15, right? Salvation history. God desired to reestablish his relationship with man. In this way, he confirmed that he is our father and we are his children. We will always be faithful and will reveal himself to us as he guides our way. So this is going to be a little study with the, with the, uh, the whole Old Testament. Now, there are no uh, study questions for the first you know, week here. Uh, I'm taking this from A Father Keeps His Promise. It's very similar to, uh, it's very similar to Salvation History, that Scott Hahn did. And this is, um, you know, very important because God made five covenants with man in the Old Testament. The only time Jesus used the word covenant was during the institution of the Holy Eucharist at the Last Supper when he said, this is my blood of the covenant. And that's um, Matthew 26 and Mark 14 in Luke 22. Now I know you probably have heard this, but the term for covenant in Latin is sacramentum. Now, how does this affect your understanding of the Eucharist and the other sacraments? I will say, I will tell you that Dr. Hahn did a series called Growth by Oath. <laughs> and it was on the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. And I would encourage you to pick up that set. It's about nine hours of teaching on the sacraments. It went over extremely well back in the late 80s when I first released it. But, you know, truth doesn't change. A hundred years, five hundred thousand years from now, it's still true. 
That's the beauty of our Catholic faith. So I would recommend if you go to catholicrc.org, you can get the download. But again, if you're a monthly donor, all that's free for you. Dr. Hahn, I think, did 80 separate presentation, I should say, sets of CDs, cassette tapes when we first started, on Bible studies and all these other issues of the faith, the creed, it's all there. I think he's a very good teacher, you know, but much better than my wife or I. The guy has been doing this all his life for 40 years teaching. So take advantage of what I mentioned that you can listen to growth by oath. Now, there's three promises God gave to Abraham. That was Genesis 15, 17, and 22. Go ahead and check those out. I might also encourage you to read Genesis 12, Acts 7, 2 to 3. And note that it is God who takes the initiative in these readings. In what way, and I think about this, has God taken the initiative in your relationship with him? Yeah, I'll give you an example. God took the initiative to give you parents that baptized you in the faith. God gave you parents that encouraged you and taught you to get your first confession and first holy communion. God gave you parents to get your confirmation. See, your parents were the seed that God used to introduce you to the person of Jesus Christ. That's how it was with me. And I hope that that was the way it was with you. So a question is, what response does God ask of us as he did in Abraham? Very good. In other words, I've always said that when you read the Bible, you kind of go, well, that was for them. But you, we have to have supernatural faith. Okay? I think one of the reasons a lot of people don't want to follow Christ is because they don't really believe he's going to take care of them. Because they have this attitude that it's me, myself, and I. But self-abandonment gives you to say, Jesus, I give my life to you. This is your word. I embrace it as a love letter coming to me. Now, can everybody say that? They can say it. Do they mean it? Well, I hope you can say that in your spirituality. Because every day when we read the scriptures, we need to ask Jesus Christ for more faith. Every day. And that's one of the reasons... I encourage people to do just that. And I guarantee it, your faith will grow. Now, this is really interesting because we talk about the priesthood. Where does it come from? And if we look at Genesis 14, Abraham met Melchizedek in Salem. Now, it's an important city because Salem is peace. It means peace. Jerusalem. Okay? So Melchizedek is mentioned in the first Eucharistic prayer of the Mass. We can read Hebrews chapter 7. And Hebrews, just so you know, when we come back, I'm going to share with you, that's the book on the Catholic priesthood. Wow, hear the music. You're listening to the Bible with the Barbers. Terry Barber sitting in for my wife, Mary Danielle, who's on retreat. I'm going to say, I'm too inspired to be tired too protected to be de to, to be dejected and too renewed to be subdued. Stay with us, family. The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be back in a moment. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers, sitting in for my wife. She's on retreat this weekend. And we've been talking about the book, uh, excuse me, the Melchizedek. He's mentioned in the first Eucharistic prayer of the Mass. And I mentioned that if you read Hebrews, especially chapter 7, and you go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 58, 1350, and 1544, you'll see the connection of the priesthood from the Old Testament with Melchizedek. That's why he's right in the Eucharistic prayer one. Uh, and I want to just say that it's important that we understand what the priesthood is. And one of the things that the Old Testament gives us is that there's an offering. And when we understand the Catholic Mass, what is Jesus offering at you know, Calvary? Himself. So when we are at Mass, biblically speaking, we are present at that one eternal sacrifice of the Mass. And that takes supernatural faith. I know for me, I'll just give you my take, I started going to daily Mass when I was 14 years old, and I live off that. I, I mean, I, the Eucharist, the uh, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, the fact that when that priest consecrates the bread into the body, under the appearance of bread, into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that's the miracle that I get to see every day. But that takes supernatural faith. And I think that when we understand our faith, it really gives us more motivation to go, wow. I mean, how many people have no clue when they go to church on Sunday what's taking place on the altar? Probably most. I can tell you from experience, when I was traveling a lot for decades up and down the country on evangelization, I would ask people in the parking lot coming into the church, hey, I just wanted to ask you, can you tell me What's your understanding of the Eucharist is? Nine out of ten people. Tragic, tragic. Nine out of ten people could not tell me about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. They didn't know. So this is why so many Catholics leave the church because they don't know the faith. They don't know what the church teaches. When someone comes along, they're like, okay, I guess you're right. I guess we don't believe, whatever. In other words, we've done such a poor job. And this is something that, for me, I've worked most of my life. I'm 66 years old. I think over 30 million recordings have gone out since 1978. Yeah, it's a long time. Of teachings of Fulton Sheen, Scott Hahn, Tim Staples. Why am I, Father Bill Casey, why Jesse Romero? Our names go on and on. Why, why is that so important? Because I said, they're starving. So now, with the internet, there's no excuse not to know the faith. It's all out there. And that's why, you know, the Bible with the Barbers, we're trying to help you just get a grasp of what is the uh, importance of Scripture in one's life. And I think I mentioned it already, that it's his love letter from God to you. So when you read Scripture... You reflect on it. Think about putting yourself in that situation where you're, you're sitting on a rock and you see Jesus coming to you know, feed the 5,000. You're watching this situation, thinking about what's going on there. 
And that's how you meditate on it. And, you know, with scripture, I think it's so important that, at, and maybe you've already been, maybe my wife already told you this, but at the end of the day, read your Bible so that the last thing before you go to sleep are stories that Jesus is telling in the scriptures. So you can think about those stories, that scripture, that passion, whether it's the resurrection, whatever, you know, even, that's why with the rosary, a scriptural rosary, it's so good that we pray the rosary and meditate on that mystery. With the new luminous mysteries, I think it was the year 2000, John Paul II gave us that. The mystery on the Holy Eucharist. Are you kidding me? What a great meditation. What about the wedding feast of Cana? I mean, what a great meditation. John Paul II gave us some really good scriptural meditations. The proclamation of the word. I mean, wow. Yeah, we got to get out there. Uh, you know, the transfiguration. Wow. That's such a great meditation. So this is why the rosary is so beautiful with scripture when you use it. All right, we're still going back into scripture of Genesis eighteen sixteen. <clears throat> St. Paul states that Abraham's faith is the model for Christians. This was in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. Now, that's something that we model after, right? The saints, the fathers of the church. And you think about Abraham as being a model. He bargained with the Lord regarding Sodom. Uh, uh, Sodom, Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, what did he ask from the Lord? Well, he, he have you, you know, he's going to try to say, "Oh, don't, don't, you know, don't nuke us," basically. But what was going on here is in Sodom and Gomorrah, there were sins that cry to heaven. And if you read Genesis eighteen twenty, nineteen thirteen, and look at the Catechism, eighteen sixty seven you'll see that the sin of the people of Sodom is one of those sins that cry to heaven. And so reflecting on our own culture today, what are our sins that cry to heaven? Well, let's just be honest. We're ready to have a Senate in October, and a lot of these cardinals, priests, lay people, are saying, yeah, we've got to normalize homosexuality. We have a cardinal running it saying, the Bible's wrong? Where is his faith? And how dare him to say that the Bible is wrong? Doesn't he realize that we believe as Catholics the inerrancy of Scripture? That the Bible is without error when it comes to our faith? I think what we need to do is pray for those prelates that they will have faith to realize they made a promise when they were ordained to pass on the deposit of faith. And I'll tell you, they, I, I feel for them in the sense that I want them to get to heaven. I don't want them to compromise a promise they made. Like my wife and I made a promise at the altar for marriage, better or for us, richer or poorer, sickness and health. We have to keep that promise. Well, are you aware that a Catholic priest makes a promise to pass on the deposit of faith? Right? right when he's being ordained. So these priests and bishops and cardinals who don't pass on the deposit of faith and compromise, they're going back on their word. And that's serious. 
And if I didn't love them, I would say, well, that's their problem. No, it's not their problem. It's everybody's problem. We've got somebody who's been lost, and they can't see. And the gospel says, at a fraternal correction, correct somebody, even if he is a cardinal or a bishop. I know I do the Bishop Strickland Hour every week here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And by golly, he says it right on the air. Terry, if I said something that isn't supported in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, teachings of the Church, don't wait for the break to tell me I was all wrong on that. Correct me right on the air. It's good for my humility. I need to have that. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm not trying to hide anything. I want to give what the church teaches. And if I don't, correct me. And I said the same thing right back to him, Bishop Strickland. If I said something that was wrong, correct me publicly. I have no problem with that. Tell me I'm all wet. And I'll, and I'll say, I'll stand corrected, and I'll get it right. So this is why reading the Bible is so important with, with the mind of the church. Because if you read it with the mind of the world... It's like reading a book like Gone with the Wind. No, you don't do that. So here's something that is interesting on Genesis 21, verse 1 to 2. The birth of Isaac. It teaches us that God's time is not always our time and that God is faithful. And have you ever had that in your own life where you had to wait for God's time? Well, I can give you an example make it personal with my wife and I. We knew each other when we were in our early 20s. Nothing gelled. And then, at age 31, I met her again. And we ended up getting married. And she says, it wasn't God's time until that, Terry. That's why I said, why didn't I marry you when I was 21? She says, well, because it wasn't God's time. She nailed it. Now, I'd like to discuss something about, I mentioned earlier about typologies. A typology is a doctrine in which one figure or object prefigures or represents another. Now, I would say most scripture scholars see that Isaac as a prefiguring of Christ. And I can back that up with the Catechism, paragraph 128 to 130. And scripturally, Genesis 22, verse 1 to 14. Compare the sacrifice of Isaac to that of Jesus, and you get the message. So I want to also remind you, when we're at Mass, okay, I'll give you scripture and I'll give you catechism verses. What offerings are made to God during the Mass? Well, check out paragraph 1333, that's 1333. 1350 to 51, and 1368. It's all there. And then, if you read also paragraph 345 to 48, and then 2184 to 88, it'll get into the Sabbath. It's referred to as the day of God's blessing and made holy, a day of grace and rest from work. That goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So, why is the Sabbath blessed and holy? Exodus 20.11. And read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 345 to 48. So we're told, how should we observe the Lord's day and keep it holy? If you want to know, I'll give you the paragraphs of the Catechism. You don't have to look it up. 
paragraph 2172 and 73, and paragraph 2193 and 94. And then I want to kind of, we, we, there's some things from Genesis to the book of Revelation that also have connections, like Genesis 3.15 and then read Revelation 12.3 to 9. Many of us have seen pictures showing a snake tempting Adam and Eve. Now in Genesis 3.1, the Hebrew word nahash, it can mean snake. But it can also mean serpent or dragon, right? This is the same Hebrew word used in Revelation. Now, isn't that interesting? I think so. How could this image change your way of picturing the scene between Adam and Eve and the snake? Well, she's the woman that crushes the head of, sa of Satan. Hey, I hear the music. Again, we're going to come back talking about Genesis here on the Bible with the Barbers. I always uh, want to encourage people to go to the conference that we're putting on with Bishop Strickland, September 1 and 2, uh, in Tyler, Texas. Go to bmpr.org. You can register for that conference soon. Stay with us, family. We'll be back in a moment on the Bible with the Barbers. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. I hope you're having as much fun as I am looking at the Bible and the Genesis. You know, I got to tell you, uh, I get inspiration from Scripture, but I also get inspiration from people who are really, you know, great Scripture scholars. And I would say, Dr. Hahn told me this personally, that Pope Benedict XVI was the top biblical scholar of the world. Now, we never had a pope who was a biblical scholar like Benedict. And here's what he said, and I think it's food for thought. He said, The false gods competing for people's allegiance today are associated with the worship of material things, possessive and manipulative forms of love and power the cult of material possessions, the cult of, po of possessive love, and the cult of power often lead people to attempt to play God and try to seize total control with no regard for the wisdom of the commandments that God has made to us. This is the path that leads to death. Now, I think it's just great advice from a scripture scholar telling us, you know, that the world, the devil, and the flesh are obstacles to us in our faith. Now, I'm reading a book right now, Benedict XVI, What is Christianity? It's his last book that he ever wrote. And I'm fascinated by how he takes a problem and looks at it from both sides of the question. Now, Father Joseph Fessio, founder of Ignatius Press, went to school under Joseph Ratzinger, okay? And what's interesting is he told me 40 years ago, I think it was the late 70s when I met Father Fessio, 78, and he was just starting Ignatius Press, but he said, Pope Benedict XVI 
would take an issue, like in the first chapter of the book, I'll give you an example of universal salvation, and he would, he would point out what their position is, that, yeah, everybody gets saved, and then he punches holes through it with Scripture, kind of like what Thomas Aquinas did in the Summa. But, I mean, he takes on topics like, you know, the can dialogue replace missionary work? We have people in the church who say, let's just dialogue with people and not worry about converting them to the Catholic faith. Let's just get along. And Pope Benedict points out there that that's not biblical. See, and that's the question you want to ask everyone you know in the church when they come up with, oh, well, we want to, we want to ordain women. Is that biblical? No. Okay, then you don't do it. Or we want to make homosexuality uh, legit now, that it's an expression of true love. Is that biblical? No. As a matter of fact, we just talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and, and sins that cry out to heaven, and homosexuality is one of those. And I think that it's important that we realize that it doesn't really matter what our opinion is on the moral teachings of the church. Because we want to know what God's opinion is. What does he teach? And this is something that I think we've lost. And this is why we need to go back to the basics. And I'm going to go off for a minute here. Because this just came in on my desk today. And it's a bishop who said, we're in a crisis. And he's acknowledging it. And he happens to be America's bishop, Bishop Joseph Strickland. And I'd like to take the time to read this to you because he talks about people who are compromising on the word of God. He said this. This is his letter to all of our Catholics. In this time of great turmoil in the church and in the world, Bishop Strickland says, I must speak to you from a father's heart in order to warn you of the evils that threaten us. This is why I'm bringing it up now, because it's an emergency. We're, we're, our backs are at the wall. And he says, I want to assure you of the joy and the hope that we have always in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Great message. He says, the evil and false messages that have invaded the church, Christ's bride, is that Jesus is only one among many. And that it is not necessary for his message to be shared with all humanity. Bishop Strickland says this idea must be shunned, refuted at every turn. We must share the joyful good news that Jesus is our only Lord. And that he desires that all humanity for all time may embrace eternal life in him. So this paragraph he just wrote is telling you to be aware of false prophets. They're attacking the church. And you can't you don't don't listen to them. See, once we understand that Jesus Christ, God's divine son, is the fullness of revelation, scripture, right? Very biblical. And the fulfillment of our Father's plan of salvation for all humanity, 
for all time, and we embrace this with our hearts, then we can address the other errors that plague our church. And they plague our church and our world, which has been brought about by a departure from the truth. And this is what, uh, this is one of the great points that I really want to make is Bishop Strickland is talking like a father to a son. And he's saying that we're departing from the truth of the gospel. And this is Bible with the Barbers. We have to be biblical. You can't just come up and say, you know, I think we're going to vote on this, like, you know, democratic process. That's not how our church works. That's not how the Bible works. So he quotes St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, and he writes, I am amazed that you are so quickly forsaking the one whom called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. Not that there's another, but there are some who are disturbing you and wish to pervert the gospel of Christ. We have that going on right now in our church. They're perverting God's word by saying these moral teachings can change. But even if we are an angel right from the Bible, an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one that we preach to you. Let that one be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than the one that you received, let that one be accursed. Now that's a biblical worldview. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. Read that as you go along in life, especially in this troubled time, especially in the October month of when the Senate is taking place in Rome. Unfortunately, there are priests, bishops, and cardinals who don't follow the biblical worldview. And they're, they're compromising with the world. Now, this is a true father. And his comment to us is, is this. As your spiritual father, because he is, he's the bishop of Tyler, Texas. But, you know, he's on our radio show, so I'm reading it here. He's, he's part of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. He says, I feel it important to reiterate the following basic truths of our faith. What a novel idea. That's great. That have always been understood by the church from time immoral uh, and um, immemorial to the emphasize that the church exists not to redefine matters of faith. No, 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 no. But what is it? To safeguard the deposit of faith, as it has been handed down to us from our Lord himself through the apostles, the saints, and martyrs. We have apostolic succession, man. I mean, thank you, Bishop Strickland. He says this, and hearkening back to St. Paul's warning to the Galatians, any attempt to pervert the true gospel message must be categorically rejected as injurious to the bride of Christ and her individual members. I got to say, amen. This is why it's important that we speak up on the faith right now. We need to tell people the truth. 
of the gospel. And Bishop Strickland is laying it out very, very clear to you and to me. Now, he says, I like that. I really just think it's important. He says, there's a couple points I want to make. Number one, he says, Christ established one church. That sounds like, well, of course. Well, I have to share with you, there are people who think, no, there's many churches. No, no, there are ecclesial things, but we have one church. Christ, Matthew 16, 16, started one church, and it's the Catholic Church. Therefore, he says, only the Catholic Church provides the fullness of Christ's truth an authentic path to his salvation for all of us. And he says, point number two, the Eucharist and all the sacraments are divinely instituted, not developed by men. This is a modernist concept. And, you know, Pope Pius X was the one who condemned modernism in 1907. But we see what they're doing in Rome right now is modernism. They're applying that using, you know, man's ideas to overshoot God's revelation. Now, here he covers something on the Eucharist, and when we come back from the break, I'd like to show you how important the sacraments are and how we understand them is not something we can take or leave, but it's revealed by God, these beautiful sacraments and how they give us grace to get to heaven. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I hope you're enjoying the letters from Bishop. Stay with us. We'll be back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Mary's on, re on retreat, so I'm covering for her. And I'm reading from a letter from Bishop Joseph Strickland, from the Diocese of Tyler. It came out on the Queenship of Mary. And it's a letter of a father to his children, saying, be aware, there's danger out here. And he's making points. He made a point about the church is being established by Jesus Christ. I know we have people in the church that don't believe that. It's sad. Here's the second point he makes. The Eucharist and all the sacraments are divinely instituted, not developed by man. That's why they say, oh, yeah, any modern church people, we'll just change it. No, you can't change what Jesus Christ taught. The Eucharist is truly Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity. And to receive him in communion unworthily, okay, and basically in the state of mortal sin, unrepentant sin, that's what sin is, is a devastating sacrilege for individuals and for the church. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 to 29. Think about that. I mean, why isn't anybody telling President Joe Biden, who's a Catholic, you can't receive Holy Communion? That we don't want to offend him. Well, gosh, you're participating in a mortal sin objectively. We've got to knock that off. And Strickland's willing to call him out. He does it on the, on the uh, Bishop Strickland Hour with me every week. Now, number three, the sacrament of matrimony is instituted by God, not by man. Through natural law, God has established marriage as between one man, one woman, faithful to each other for life, and open to children. 
humanity has no right or true ability to redefine marriage. See, you don't have that power to change. Not even the Pope can change this, you guys. He's the vigor of Christ, not the superior of Christ. So you can't change it. This is divine revelation. Number four, every human person is created in the image and likeness of God, male or female, and all people should be helped to discover their true identities as children of God and not supported in a disordered attempt to reject their undeniable biological and God-given identity. Man, that took a little bit to put that thing out. But basically, he says, man, if you're a male, you're male. If you're a woman, you're a female. That's how God made you. Stop changing what God, God doesn't make junk. So his letter is very clear on what marriage is. And we need that today, especially when we're having so-called homosexual marriages. It's not marriage. Number five, sexual activity outside of marriage is always gravely sinful and cannot be condoned, blessed, or demeaned permissible by any authority inside the church. So your priest, your bishop, not even the pope can say, oh, you committed mortal sin with, um, ah, don't worry about it. You're in good shape. No, that doesn't make you in good shape because it's divinely instituted very clearly. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all condemned. Can't change it. Now, here's a good one. The belief that all men and women will be saved regardless of how they live their lives. This common this is concept is commonly referred to universalism. You know, everybody gets to heaven. It's false. And the bishop says it's dangerous as it contradicts what Jesus tells us repeatedly in the gospel. Jesus says we must deny ourselves, <clears throat> take up our cross, and follow him. Matthew 16, 24. He has given us the way through his grace to victory over sin and death through repentance and sacramental confession. It is essential that we embrace the joy and hope as well as the freedom that comes from repentance and humbly confessing our sins. Yes, how many of you have been in the confession coming out and you've, you're, like, like you're, you're walking on air? Through repentance and sacramental confession, every battle with temptations and sin can be a small victory that leads us to embrace the great victory that Christ has won for us. Praise God. You know, I'm fired up. <laughs> I love having a successor of the apostles speak like <laughs> one of the one of the early church members, like Bishop Strickland always says, we have to become first century Christians again. Well, that's what he's doing. Number seven, in order to follow Jesus Christ, we must be willing to choose to take up our cross instead of attempting to avoid the cross and suffering that our Lord offers to each of us as individually in our daily lives. The mystery of redemptive suffering you know, suffering that our Lord allows us to experience and accept in this world and then offer it back to him in union with his suffering humbles us, it purifies us, and draws us deeper into the joy of a life lived in Christ. Now that's not to say that we must enjoy to seek our suffering, but if we unite it to Christ as we experience our daily suffering, 
we can find hope and joy that exists among the suffering and preserve it to the end of our all of our suffering. That's second book of Timothy, chapter four, verse six to eight. Now he says, In the weeks and months ahead, many of these truths will be examined as part of the Senate Senate on Synodality. Bishop Strickland says we must hold fast to these truths and be wary of any attempt to present an alternative to the gospel of Jesus Christ or to push for a faith that speaks of dialogue and brotherhood while attempting to remove the fatherhood of God. Well said. Amen. When we see to innovate upon what God in his great mercy has given us, we find ourselves upon treacherous grounds. The surest footing we can find is to remain firmly upon the perennial teachings of the faith. Amen, 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 I say to you. Well, regrettably, it may be that some will label as schismatics those who disagree with the changes being proposed. I'm one of those. Be assured, however, that no one who remains firmly upon the plumb line of our Catholic faith is a schismatic. We must remain unabashedly truly Catholic, regardless of what we might be brought forth. We must be aware also that it is not leaving the church to stand firm against those proposed changes. We're not leaving the church. We're standing for what the church teaches. He says, as St. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 68. Therefore, standing firm does not mean we are seeking to leave the church. Instead, those who would propose changes to that which can be changed, which cannot be changed, seek to commandeer Christ, Christ's church. And they are indeed true schismatics. So if the, if the shoe fits and you wear it, uh, if you're trying to change what Christ has taught for the millennial, you're the schismatic. Now, Bishop Strickland ends his letter and says, I urge you, my sons and daughters in Christ, that now is the time to make sure you stand firmly upon the Catholic faith of ages. Mm, amen. We were all created to seek the way, the truth, and the life. And in this modern age of confusion, the true path is the one that is illuminated by the light of Jesus Christ, for truth has a face, and indeed, it is his face. Be assured that he will not abandon his bride. Wow! Bishop Strickland, thank you, thank you, and thank you. And I hope our Bible with the Bible, Bible with the Barber listeners were as inspired as much as I was on a biblical worldview. And this is why right now we need to be praying for our church. Uh, that, you know, this is something that uh, we need to be praying for every day. And remember, Our Lady of Fatima said this, that souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. We've got leaders in our church that we need to make some serious uh, prayers to pray for because they are uh, committing objectively uh, serious sins when they start trying to change what the Catholic Church has taught when it comes to the moral teachings on the church on marriage. And we can't uh, just look the other way and say, oh, well, that's their problem. No, it, we have to stand up. Remember, Bishop Sheen said it well back in the 70s. Who's going to save the church? It's not the priests, not the bishops. He said the lay people. Why? Because we call our priests to be good priests. That's how we do it. And this is... Canon 312 gives us that right to let our pastors know our concerns. And right now, 
a biblical worldview concern is, you know, they've gone south. The, the, the Vatican has been hiring people who, like the Father James Martins and others, to do work there that undermines the faith. They, we've got people who are hired by the Vatican to, uh, to talk about, are you ready for this? This is sad, so sad, that they want to get rid of Humanae Vitae on the birth control. They want to be one with the world. And you can't be with Christ and be with the world. doesn't mix. You choose either one. And here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we all choose Jesus Christ. We are not going to compromise and lower the bar to make the world feel like, oh, we're not going to make you feel bad. Oh, Johnny or Smith, whatever your name is. Oh, you want to be you know, an active homosexual? Come on! It's okay. God still loves you. Yeah, he loves you so much he should knock off your sinful behavior. But you see, they don't give the part. What they're doing is not having a world biblical view. They're saying, oh, okay, uh, God's merciful. Yeah, he forgives you anything. Just don't, just, just don't worry about it. But if we're not asking for repentance, we're not saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's no mercy. Mercy comes from a repentant heart. You know, the gospel says, believe, repent and believe in the gospel. So we have to repent of our sins. And that message is not clearly being articulated at the Senate from what we see in the working document. It shows that, you know, it's not that. Now, Cardinal Burke just came out with a very strong statement. It's all over the Internet. Cardinal Mueller. They're all, there's a, a book that's written for 100 questions about what's going on. We're going to get educated on this because we need to be aware of the seriousness of error. And that's what we're going to do, pray for Holy Mother the Church and stick with the Church because we, we have no other place to go. The Church is the Bride of Christ and the Bride is being wounded by those who are wedded to the Church. And this has happened in the Old Testament. We know that. Wow, we've got already, oh my goodness, it's already time to call it in. Huh? Okay. Well, I want to thank you for listening to me today to talk about Genesis and then to talk about the letter from America's Bishop, Joseph Strickland. Remember, he's on every Tuesday here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio after the Terry and Jesse show. And I want to thank you for your support. And don't forget, all those Scott Hahn material, go to catholicrc.org. You can download them there. Or if you're a monthly donor, it's free to you. You got access to these things every month for $25 a month. What a great resource. Thanks again for joining us. And don't forget, ask Jesus Christ for more faith every single day. And your faith will grow. And when you read your Bible, your understanding will grow. Ask Jesus for more faith each and every day. And you will grow closer to his sacred heart. May God richly bless you and your family.